Welcome to At Work in America, sponsored by Paychex. At Work in America digs in behind the headlines and trends to the stories of real people making a difference in the world of work. And now, here are your hosts, Steve Bowes and Trish Steed. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the At Work in America podcast. I'm Steve Bowes, and I'm joined by Trish Steed. Hey, Trish, how are you today? I'm good, Steve. How are you? I am well. I'm excited to be doing the show. Uh, we're still early in the year, and this is going to be a great show. It's one of our traditions here on the At Work in America HR Happy Hour Media Network podcast. Welcoming back our longtime friend Ben Brooks to the show here in a minute, and I'm excited for that conversation. I am too. Ben always has so many lessons when he comes on the show because he presents such practical tips and advice um, about what organizational leaders can be doing. And especially this time of year, I know we usually have a sort of a, a midsummer check-in with him as well. And uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to the conversation. So you want to check that out. You want to watch it on YouTube as well. If you, if you haven't yet, we will be posting on YouTube and you will get to see both Trisha's dog, one of her dogs and Ben's new dog as well, uh, which is exciting stuff. But uh, let's thank our friends at Paychex, Trish. Of course, this episode of At Work in America is sponsored by Paychex, one of the leading providers of HR, payroll, retirement and insurance solutions for businesses of all sizes. Are you ready to drive growth and tackle the challenges ahead in the new year? With insights from 600 business and HR leaders, Paychex has just released its 2024 Business Priorities Report, revealing the strategies you need to succeed. With rising interest rates and inflation, along with the struggles to keep top talent and develop leadership, it can be tough out there. But this report reveals that a whopping 98% of companies are planning to use artificial intelligence to help tackle these issues. And that's just the beginning. Packed with insider tips on improving employee benefits to automating workflows, this report is your strategic roadmap or success. Get ahead of the game and download your copy today at paychex.com slash A-W-I-A. That's P-A-Y-C-H-E-X dot com slash A-W-I-A. Business success this year is just a click away. Good stuff. Thank you, Paychex. Trish, this is going to be fun. Uh, let's get on with the show. We are excited to welcome our guest and friend of the show today back with us for the eighth time, we have Ben Brooks. He is the founder and CEO of Pilot, an award-winning employee career development software platform. Inspired by his successful CEO and coaching practice, Ben saw an opportunity to democratize executive coaching and empower employees at scale. Ben, welcome back to the show for the eighth time. Fantastic to see you. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm loving to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week. And yeah, 2024 is off to a great start. I'm so excited that you're here, Ben. And eight times, I think we'd have to check. I think that's the record right now okay. of anyone. Maybe Steve, we need like a special like 10, you know, anniversary when you hit the 10th episode, right? We'll He's going to hit it soon. Something, ben will be the first one, I'm certain. <laughs> <laughs> I look for I look forward to it. So, um, but yeah, but glad lo, glad to be here. Lots to talk about, and the year's off to a great start. Good. Well, you know what? Um, for for those who may not be familiar with you and with Pilot, um, and just in general, I know you had some life changes recently. So maybe just spend a couple minutes talking about um, who you are and what you do, and all about Pilot. Great. Yeah. So Ben Brooks. I'm based in New York City, where I've lived for almost twenty years. I 
uh, used to be in uh, HR and the corporate side. Marsha McLennan owns Mercer and was a senior vice president of HR there. Uh, learned a lot about uh, all the potential that HR can bring and all the challenges it is to be in HR to deliver on that potential and have a lot of empathy for uh, the heroes that we have in the, in the function and the profession. I, about 10 years ago, left the corporate world uh, for a break, never thought I'd be an entrepreneur, but founded an executive and CEO coaching practice. And pretty quickly after that, founded a separate company, Pilot, uh, with the idea of how do we get more people to feel powerful at work. So our mission is we want everyone to feel powerful at work. So we'll be coming up on, you know, it'll be 10 years that uh, we've been working on this company later this year, which is hard to believe. Um, you all have been great supporters along the way and I and given us great visibility and encouragement and uh, things like the Pitch Fest and everything else that, Steve, you're involved in with the conference. Sure. And um, so it's been great. But we, we um, finished in you know, 2023 in a really good spot. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of is we had 100% customer retention. Wow. Congratulations. That's pretty much unheard of, Ben, because of uh, you could be the greatest software and services provider in the world, but you're going to get some turnover, right? It just happens. Companies go out of business or they, yep. they get bought out by another company, yep. et cetera, et cetera. So 100% is remarkable. So congrats on that. Thank you. And we, you know, we work with big, small, nonprofit, public, private. So it's a mix. And to your point, all the environmental factors that can happen. But uh, and our net revenue retention is you know, well over 100%. So we grew a lot of those accounts. And most of our, our, our competitors and a lot of folks in the space, you know, last year, 2023, was the year of efficiency, right? So um, a very easy way to cut costs is third-party services and software and consulting and things. And so um, that, that was a, a, a true testament to our team and our product and our culture. Um, and another great accomplishment, we, we rolled out um, a new set of values and operating principles for the company uh, that I think are going to form a book we're working on, but really kind of redefining professionalism and leadership at the every seat level, and in particular in a remote and hybrid context. And so we've got a bunch of those who are actually starting to, to roll out to different companies um, and really giving people a, a very aspirational sort of, um, you know, catchy, you know, exciting way to redefine what it looks like to be a modern professional in a remote and hybrid era. So great year we started off and then we're, we're, we're off you know, a bunch of new customers, a bunch of new logos, a bunch of new things. And uh, off to the races uh, uh, this year with uh, some new customers already and getting mentored by some big company, AMC Networks. We had a kickoff in our mentoring as a diverse supplier. We're a certified LGBT owned business. And so uh, we get mentored. And so, you know, EY has been a mentor of ours. Um, and we have to go to their big entrepreneurship summit and AMC Networks is now mentoring us. So we're just really pleased uh, with the support we get from the business community uh, in that regard. And on top of some, some life updates. I did get a puppy last week. So. That was it. I was just leading into oh, this. Steve, on, top I, I, of all, okay. Okay. on top of that wasn't enough, uh, Ben, you became a, a new dad, if you will, yeah. uh, <laughs> of a puppy re very recently. And that's, I'm not even kidding. That is. Yeah. Show the puppy. We need. <laughs> P.O.P. Proof of puppy. So this, oh. this is. This is oh, little Jetson. He's taking a nap. So Jetson is a mini American Eskimo and oh he'll be about 16 pounds right now. He's 11 weeks. He's about six and a half pounds. Remarkably and chill, which is very chill. He's got, he's already, we already have behavior lessons and he already, you know, is litter box trained and knows how to retrieve and he's, you know, but this is nap time right now. So we'll get a little puppy kiss and put him down. Oh, but uh, awesome. if you want, if you want to follow his adventures, he's on Instagram. Let's Jetson. Let's Jetson is his Instagram and he's, He's gonna have a lot of sass, a lot of insights, a lot of things oh, going on. Oh. A lot of cuteness, a lot of cuteness to interrupt your doom scrolling. Okay. I love so it. That is a lot of cuteness. Yes. You know what, too, though? I, I have to tell you, I think that it says something about people when they are pet owners, right? It gives you insight into personality. 
and just how they interact with the world and then to see it that's to me that's been my favorite part of since we started like pandemic times when people yes. started working at home and you're seeing not just their space but their pets yes love that love it so welcome to the, Jetson. Remember, yeah remember that uh saying you know bring your whole self to work from like a dei perspective it, it was like now it's sort of bring your work to your whole self and you see yeah. people right. how they design or decorate or you see the kids or you see, I remember we were on a call with HSBC bank and this woman was visiting her dad in London and they're Indian, but that her parents live in and he's in the background and she's on a call and he gets in the back of the camera and starts doing this dance and making silly faces and she's mortified and we're like loving it. We're like, who's your dad? She's like, he's the most fun person in the world. And so that we just started this whole relationship that we would have, he would have never been at the HSBC offices, but right. she was in his home and he had some fun with it. And it was, you know, and that was like the first meeting and our chemistry from then on was insane because of this human moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's you know, I have a kind of follow up on that then, Ben. I know we have other things to talk about too, but like, so, I mean, obviously you're coaching a lot of, of different people, obviously, you know, started with the executive level. Now you're coaching yeah. kind of all through an organization. Has that helped us as, you know, workers being able to have those different types of more personal connections? Or is it kind of too early to tell if that's actually helped us in the workplace by knowing people more yeah. personally? I mean, that you know, that if you study sort of diplomacy and you know, people at the State Department and things like that, you know, one of the key things to getting along is getting to know someone better. Mm -hmm. And you talk about building a relationship and some of our traditional ways of going out for drinks or to a football game or steak dinner or those sort of things are golfing, et cetera, are ways to do that. But sometimes we can build a relationship just by seeing that, you know, we've got flowers in the background on our Zoom and talking about that and how I ended up getting flowers every week and why that's a thing. So I think that it's certainly helped. And I think in particular for folks that maybe weren't always at the pinnacle of like in-person events, a lot of people, you know, get aren't out of the office. They get stuck behind. You have the, the most, most senior people, they're on the, the private jets or they're, you know, at Davos, they're doing these things and they're out and about. So I think it just gives more visibility and kind of flattens the organization uh, when we all have the, I guess, the democratization of our rectangles here on Zoom and uh, Teams and everything else. Yeah, Ben, and it's, it's still a, it's still going to be, a, a I think, a semi-permanent, if not permanent, part of our, the fabric of work moving forward, right? The the Despite all the very well-publicized executives from big companies, banks, for example, have done this in financial services and some tech companies as well, trying to get everybody to come back to, to the workplace in person, maybe as much as five times a week. Those are the outliers, really, right? And most of, most of professional work has settled into a hybrid model of some yep. fashion, right? Yep. And so these kinds of interactions that we're talking about and building relationships facilitated by some in person, but also virtually is that's just going to be how work is going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the certain things, obviously, it's hard to do heart surgery over Zoom, you know, <laughs> although there is remote robotic surgeries are pretty incredible. Right. Um, but but nonetheless, there's certain work that definitely needs to be done in person. But this is sort of where it's going to be. And the other thing is that, you know, the labor market, you know, I, I heard PW or um, PNC Bank, as well as EY's chief economist. I got to hear the two of them talk last fall and they talked about a structural change in basically labor and on a global basis, not just US, not just knowledge worker. And essentially they're like for the next 30 years, the prediction was labor is gonna be tight. Basically there's gonna be more demand for labor than there is supply of people. 
And so ultimately, when that's the case, labor is going to get the talent, the employees are going to get what they want, which is fundamentally flexibility. And if you think a lot about inclusion, I mean, if you do research anything around women in the workplace, you want to make a female-friendly workplace provide flexibility. And whether someone's a parent or not, like there's a whole host of other reasons for that. And so I think that the technology allows for the flexibility, which drives the inclusion and all of that makes you more desirable. And so then, you know, companies are going to be forced to be competitive rather than just what someone wants. So, you know, so so-and-so bank executive wants everyone back. That's fine for now. But um, one of the predictions I talked about late last year was around the idea that this you know, who's in the office or how many days is sort of really masking the bigger structural issues around culture and workplace and, you know, um, how do we collaborate in a hybrid environment? And we're really kind of focused on sort of proximity rather than performance. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think that we've talked a lot over the last few years about hybrid and that has a lot of focus and it will continue, but flexibility is just a more broad approach. Like you said, there, there are people that just have other reasons they need to be out of the office yeah. and it may not be on a regular cadence, it, it, but giving your people the, I guess, trust and empowering them to make those decisions, those life decisions about how they spend their work time and where they spend their work time is bound to help you with retaining them or even attracting them to begin with, you know, we hear from Gen Z all the time when we're talking with them and um, doing our research that that's a big thing they want. They're not talking about hybrid specifically. They want just flexibility and yep. consideration. Yep. Right? So. Totally. And I think there are important things in life. And I think, it, you know, it used to be that work worked was the primary dominant thing. And it was almost almost like in a room, you know, if you're designing a room, you have the biggest piece of furniture, then everything else has to work around it. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a big old couch in the living room and then every, you know, oh, where's the end table going? Where's this? work was that big couch and it was like everything had to work around it and i think you know we're thinking differently about hey are these pieces maybe a little bit more interchangeable and a little bit more even in size in people's minds to navigate with because whether it's taking care of someone's well-being their health you know we talked about it we had an internal meeting at, at pilot about people's mental well-being in december you know we think oh the holidays da, 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 you know like but the holidays can dredge up a lot of stuff around loss right uh, estrangement, um, love, family, like a lot of, you know, money. A lot of pressure often that comes with the holidays, right? If you're putting on the best holiday and trying to get your significant person in your life or your kids, that's just the right present, right? And all of that too. Tons of pressure, tons of expectation, tons of family stuff. So we talked about, you know, just our, we had an overview of our benefits. I became a benefits administrator again. And, uh, and, and we just went through, like, we have a really fabulous EAP program through Just Works that we work with their, their PEO. And, you know, we have, you know, Talkspace and we got Aetna. And, and I actually said, I will pay people out of my own pocket. I will pay them, everyone at the company, um, an incentive, you know, through my personal Venmo and my personal checking account, if they went and booked an appointment with someone confidentially to work on anything. And you can work on you know, saving money or, or weight loss or nutrition or sleep or any addiction, whatever it may be. And so, you know, I think it's one of those things in terms of, you know, flexibility is also including taking care of ourselves. And even as simple as a weekly therapy appointment, sometimes you can't see a therapist on a Saturday morning. You have to see a therapist at Tuesday at two o'clock. And so to be able to say, hey, I've got a thing and that thing needs to be my thing and I can't really move my thing, mm-hmm. right? That's a very important part of when we say flexibility. It may just be for one hour a week, but you have to be able to do something during quote unquote work hours. And that can make the world of difference if someone can get the care or support that they need. Yeah, I agree. I think now that it's more 
commonplace and, and better accepted to even ask for that because I think you know probably when we all started our careers that was less of an option to even yeah. ask for an hour to go see seek therapy sorry I have um I have a puppy that wants to visit he's like oh there we go I'm not nearly as cute and young but he's 17 and he he is blind this is Marco hi Marco <laughs> Marco's a cutie I want to snuggle with Marco oh. he's like what's going on okay all right. So he just needed a little. I love yeah, how dogs just need and a little. For, and for the, I'll make a, I'll say this quickly and as an aside before we get back into to talking with Ben is, is uh, for the for folks listening to this on the podcast, right? We are posting these now. Part of our 2024 kind of new things we're doing, Ben, is we are mm -hmm. posting these videos onto YouTube, which is not something we had done. So you can see Ben's cute dog and Trisha's cute dog. If you want to see them, you can pop over to our YouTube channel and, and actually watch uh, as well as listen to this podcast. So I thought I'd say that. Uh, and you can check out the fresh bouquet of flowers I was given too. So if you're not a, if you're not a dog person, you're just a flower or green thumb, there's something for everyone. So check out the video, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's awesome. So ben, uh, you mentioned uh, quickly uh, predictions and kind of trends and thoughts about 2024, which is one of the reasons why we always invite you back at the beginning yep. part of the year and somewhat to talk a little bit about kind of what the new year might have in store uh, in the world of work and in workplaces, et cetera. I know you did a whole hour on this at the end of the year, so maybe we won't dive into everyone, but is there one or two things that came up in those conversations you had at the end of the year that maybe are, are worth talking about uh, today. Yeah, so so we've partnered with Paychex, and I know they're a partner of yours as well, along with HR Executive Magazine, and you know we love partnering with all those groups. And Paychex in HR had asked us to kind of do a bunch of research around kind of across HR, what are the big trends? And we narrowed it down to five, and I'll go through them very, very, very quickly. One of them we already started to mention, but one is the continued focus on efficiencies. You know, Mark Zuckerberg famously called 2023 the year of efficiency. Um, a lot of organizations made it the year of efficiency, but then CFOs have gotten a taste and they want more, especially after great resignation and inflation and you know, supply chain costs. There's a huge desire to cut costs and there's momentum. So year of efficiency, trend one. Trend two, the struggle over where people sit when they work, right? Hybrid or in-person will continue, but that is sort of a false battle that masks the real culture and collaboration issues and modernizing the way we work. So there's going to still be a tug of war, but we're really just avoiding actually some of the things we talked about before. The third DEI is going to remain a very competitive priority. It is hype in the media cycle right now that it's all being slashed, et cetera. We found a bunch of research that DEI spend increased last year. And, you know, a lot of folks, you know, again, what's changing is the messaging because they're having to be a little bit less, you know, uh, you know, DEI in all capital letters. But the underlying with the labor you know, market and things like that, organizations need to have labor that they can get from all pools, right? And they need to represent customers from multiple segments and global. So it's remaining a competitive priority. And we've actually seen very little pullback in DEI. It just is getting implemented in a slightly clever, less sort of hang a banner on the front of the building way. The fourth trend is around pushback on, on HR tech expenses and investments. There's a lot more scrutiny, right? 10 years ago, Everyone was buying Slack on a corporate card and doing this, and it was fast and loose. Procurement, finance, IT security is locking down the ability to turn on little things here and there and try this. So the bar has gotten much higher for HR to try to bring in something even on a trial or proof of concept basis. Okay. And again, it ties back to the year of efficiency, but they, they know the easiest cost to cut is the one you never take on in the first place. 
And so there's this big bouncer at the door. That's a huge, so it's, make, it's harder for HR to innovate now because there's more red tape and strings. And then the fifth is AI. Peak, yeah. peak, peak hype cycle, extremely low delivery on promise. So we like AI is going to change the world, but we haven't seen it yet, right? Um, I asked AI, I asked ChatGPT four, which I love and I use for a lot of great things, and I'm you know just to get me the headcount of ten different companies that I listed, and it couldn't do it, mm. and it needed me to feed them all individually and this and that. And I talked to some engineers, by, and they're like, "Yep, it's like not able to do some like something that'd be like a very simple thing." And yeah. so there's a lot of the hallucinations, everything else. So especially in HR. HR is one of the last places that I think we're going to see AI implemented because it's too risky to F up. Imagine AI doing all your payroll and all of a sudden some people, it thinks some people are part-time that are not because they were on a vacation and then their paycheck is wrong or your employee relations and your labor compliance or your staffing assignments or your performance ratings or your comp structures. AI is going to not go to these sort of touch the nerve things AI is going to go primarily to engineering because everyone talks about marketing and content marketing, writing blogs, marketing people are cheap relative to engineers. When you can have engineering be more efficient on workflows and automation and concurrent programming and testing, that's where we're going to see where engineers are really expensive and they're really scarce, right? Really hard to find, really hard to keep. You're going to see more technology deployed in those sorts of areas. And so as it relates to, to HR, Every, you know, you know, uh, media company out there is AI is this and this and this almost zero CHROs I'm talking to really care. They care about the business priorities that they have. So those are, Steve, I went a little long, but those are the five big trends. No, that's that great, Ben. And, and I'm sure we can uh, we can link back out to the full, uh, you know, hour long discussion where you had about diving into these trends. Uh, yeah, we have the recording, a summary. We have a takeaway tip sheet. We have a bunch of things we'd love to provide to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. We can we can do that. And I think they're all interesting. And it sort of lines up, Trish, I think, with a lot of what we've heard and what we've done, uh, our research for, for 2024 as well. I think the one maybe we could dive into a bit more here on this conversation would be kind of the subtle changes in DE&I specifically, yes. right? Because as you mentioned, we have seen a lot of um, media and a little bit of uh, energy and, and and pushback, if you will, right? On, on wait, is DE&I really, should companies really be investing in it? Is, is it fundamentally uh, correct? Is it, is it unfair? Yep. Uh, there's some. There was some fall off from the Supreme Court decision, which affected college and university admissions, yep. right? Yep. Which was maybe about halfway through 2023. I think that went down, and and so while that that specifically that decision was about colleges and university admissions, some organizations are feeling, boy, we better think about our own DEI initiatives, big and small, right, to to make sure we're not going to be the next group that's perhaps taken even to court about these things. I'd love for you to. Share some thoughts around that and, and and how you think perhaps that maybe it's been a little bit too much hype about the pullback from DEI. Yeah, I think that certainly there is a lot of conversations happening, right? And in particular, DEI became a bit of a you know, in America at least, we're you know, a pretty divided country right now on a lot of different factors. And DEI turned out being one of those things that wound up as a political talking point, you know, that um and and even ESG. Right. Um, you think this innocuous sort of thing that was, you know, all of a sudden ESG was and everything else. And so you've got certain uh, state legislatures, you know, banning, you know, books or offices of DEI, you know, at state colleges and universities and these things that are symbolic in nature, you know, but they but it's meant to be the kind of 
declaring war. And some of this is, you know, if you think of stasis, right? You have any sort of system in nature, things swing. And you often kind of, you know, you look, you know, part of the reason, you know, that if you look at like, you know, Trump getting elected, Obama moved the country forward in a lot of ways. And maybe some folks felt too far, right? And so part of Trump getting elected was kind of like, you know, making, making it great again, was kind of bringing it back to some middle ground. We've made a lot of progress in DEI. Right. But there's kind of a pullback to what is this thing? So you always with change in any sort of group or system and environment, when you make a lot of progress, you're always going to get this slide back to try to pull to some sort of stasis. And that's not about the content of DEI. That's just about change. Right. And DEI and the, the, the landscape. And obviously, with George Floyd's murder, a lot of companies made a lot of public proclamations. You look at the, the 2010s and the, the aughts, but really the 10s. LGBTQ progress was like a rocket ship in terms of the amount of things that happened. I was involved in Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal, and we got marriage and all these other different things, non-discrimination. But nonetheless, we've a lot has changed. And so there has been some blowback. And you look at the media, media will talk about tech layoffs, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, uh, Microsoft laid off, you know, 20,000 people. But the story doesn't say in the last two years, Microsoft hired 200,000 people. And then they laid off 20, so they're up net 180, right? Yeah. That doesn't get there because that's not a great headline that says, you know, Microsoft is up, you know, this many factors. It's 20,000. Again, I don't want to minimize anyone losing a job. I've lost a job. It's a sensitive thing. So I'm not minimizing the human impact of that. But it's to look at the whole picture. So, oh, so-and-so tech company let go of their head of DEI. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mention that they're going to backfill them because that person maybe wasn't a culture fit or maybe wasn't set up to succeed or they're going to change their strategy. But in general, organizations are realizing, in particular, the board of directors of public companies, if you want to get their attention, say ESG, mm -hmm. ESG, ESG, ESG. And they know that they're being benchmarked. Dow Jones and other organizations have indices. Talent development is a part of that. Supplier diversity, corporate social responsibility, diversity, equity, inclusion. All of that is in a metric that then is looked at by institutional investors, by right. analysts. And if you want to know what matters in a public company, it's what's on the earnings call uh, and the analyst briefings, the investor updates. And these things ladder up to things that matter at that level. And it's not the performative nature of, oh, we got to make some big statement or do this or do that. That's not changing. In fact, the need, you know, the focus on ESG is increasing at that level. What's sometimes changing is that I'm seeing organizations that, you know, you know, said like DEI was going to just change everything and is a way to be so enthusiastic are sort of saying, hey, this is an, we need to embed this as a part of everything we do. And rather than have it be so front and center, mm -hmm. they're right. saying we should consider DEI in our responsible sourcing. We should consider DEI in how we assess talent and, and pay equity and do comp. We should consider DEI in how we do marketing and multicultural marketing and target different. And so it becomes this like capability and this lens rather than this like warrior movement, which yeah. again, some people felt excluded from some of these things. And so that's Steve, where I'm seeing it. I'd love to know Trish and, and Steve, what are you seeing in the market? Because again, I think that the, the, the news story, the DEI is dead, um, is just not true. It's just a little bit less loud. Well, I love the examples you shared. I, I think, you know, especially that sort of last minute you've talked, Really, it's about the progress that an organization makes when you are at the point where you can have it embedded into what you're doing, right? I go back as far as the 90s when it started really coming to the forefront at the beginning where it was basically a checklist. Have I hired this many people, right? So you move from sort of having it be that front and center 
get everybody on board. To me, it's such a good thing when it becomes part of just that thing that's woven into the culture. Yes, of course, we're going to think about it throughout every single phase of an employee life cycle. And I don't know, it's almost, you know, it's obviously better to have it front and center when you have nothing that you're starting from, right? But to me, it's a better step when you get to the point where it is embedded. And I think that's, you know, I wrote down the rest of the story. I don't know if you remember Paul Harvey. He used to be on like mm-hmm. AM radio, right? Yeah. He, oh, yeah. You yeah. can even get it on a podcast. And what I always liked about that was it is the rest of the story. And yes. and you're right. With so many things that we hear about in the news, it is a soundbite. Um, other than, you know, if you're an HR leader, you're a business leader, and, and you're thinking about this, where where would you tell people to go to sort of help get the rest of the story, especially around DEI? Because I think sometimes that's maybe a miss where we don't really know where to find out some of those facts um, to fact check the headlines. Do you have a, a site or two or just a resource or a person that you kind of go to as, as an expert in that? Well, there's a saying, sometimes I can't hear what you're saying because of how loud you're being. <laughs> and I tend to avoid people on the polls. Okay. Either way, people that are like, DEI is evil and awful and we have to get rid of it. Or everyone, you know, we have to redo all of society and make it, you know, like restructure everything. Like either of those are like extremist views. Mm-hmm. So part of it is that one, I keep a collection of people I follow on social media that have different views. So I'm always informed, but I'm always looking, you know, you look at, you know, um, you know, Bloomberg, for instance, Bloomberg, you know, has a certain editorial standard, a certain number of factual third party citations that are numerical per words. It's in their Bloomberg style guidelines. So when I read a Bloomberg article, I actually get a lot of data right? Mm -hmm. From something like that. Or I spend more time, you know, looking at like LinkedIn and some of the conversations around some of these articles, because that's kind of the the, the rest of the story can sometimes be like, well, you know, it's great that, you know, Axios put this piece up or the New York Times or, you know, Fox News or whatever the organization is, doesn't matter. But here's some additional texture, right? Because only so much can fit in a thousand words or in a three minute segment on cable. So I think part of it is also kind of getting some context in my social networks, I do think LinkedIn has been a fairly respectful place to talk about some of this. Sometimes it gets a little bit polarizing. Um, but, you know, again, look at that. No barking. We're working on no barking with the buzzer, which is really good. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, so but I but I think, you know, it's also you got to do your own independent analysis and critical thinking. Like, does this make sense? Or if I only hear it from one person who's super fervent about it, am I actually like, is that really who I should be believing um, and, you know, and again, like getting a diversity of perspectives about diversity, um, including people that are sort of not believers or, or, or anti, you know, I try to, you know, bring all of that in and then kind of synthesize it myself and do my own thinking. I love those suggestions. Thank you so much. Yeah, Ben, thank you. And I, I'd say in general, I, what I'm seeing too tends to agree with this positioning as well. It's maybe pulling back from some of the DEI initiatives as very front and center and very uh, hyped up, if you will, if that's the right word, or mm-hmm. and maybe just making them a little bit more uh, ingrained into processes, part, try to incorporate them more into just the everyday fabric of the organization, emphasize their importance, but not necessarily, maybe because certain executives, right, uh, as you said, maybe don't want to have to fight these battles in the media, but they, they yeah. would still want to continue this work because they know it's important for customers, for employees, for communities, right? And for Certainly, we can. We, it's a whole nother show to talk about what the newest generation of workers oh. who are entering the workforce will tend to expect and demand from yep. their organizations, yep. which always it happens like it happens with every generation, right? Then the younger cohort tends to be a little more open minded, mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, uh, 
interested in 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 some of these issues right than perhaps older folks are so uh i do i do sense that as well like uh so i guess like you said much, much like with layoffs right because we layoffs make the news right oh, yeah. scream headlines but yet the unemployment rate in the united states is very near its generational 50-year low right oh, yeah. job openings are still quite near all-time highs right all the things right and talk to organization after organization after organization and difficulty finding talent and keeping talent, right? Yep. That's not changed yep. at all. So I, we'd yet, encourage yet, folks. Yet, but yet the narrative could be, oh, the economy's in the tank. And yet, you know, the, the, the stock market's been on a freaking tear. Stock market's at an all-time high, right? Inflation yeah, is inflation is stalled. Gas prices are low, all the stuff. But then the narrative is like the economy's bad, right? Yeah. I think that that was where you have to like, again, do your own independent thinking and analysis not just buy into the narrative. And I will say that the big shift in DEI that's happened, at least in my, you know, 15 or 20 years of being a part of kind of the movement, and I'm definitely a pro DEI and I'm a, you know, an out CEO and we're certified diverse owned business, et cetera. But, you know, it's moved from sort of a moralistic cause of like the right thing to do, which is sort of what you got early on the adoption curve of DEI was, yeah, like this from a values or morals perspective, most of the laggards have gotten on board because it's a competitive necessity. To your point about we can't get enough talent. Well, if we seem exclusionary to women, let's say, mm -hmm. you're a huge segment of talent you're going to be repelling. You're not going to fill jobs. You're not going to be able to service revenue. You're going to have lower profits, right? So that's where it's become a competitive thing. Or, hey, like Biagio, one of our customers, they sell spirits and liquor. And one of the fastest growing categories is non-alcoholic spirits. Yeah. So yes. They have a great product called Seed Lift that I love. And, mm -hmm. you know, and it's and it's actually a liquor that they still and they pull the liquor out of it. And it's made in England. It's beautiful, the bottles of that. But like if you didn't have a perspective of people, if you only hired people that drank at Diageo, <laughs> drank alcohol, like you wouldn't have people considering these segments. So it doesn't always have to be race or gender, right? It can be kind of, you know, it can be, you know, faith. It can be perspective. It can be background. It can be military service. Like I think capital D on the diversity side but then part of the inclusion is how do we bring up and have it not be the Antichrist to say, should we make a alcohol-free spirit mm -hmm. at a company where spirits hung the moon, yeah. right? And no different than a, a car company saying, should we make an EV when we're in internal, internal combustion engine? You know, you, yeah, that's also part of it. And so part of this is back to the competitiveness and can you make a profit or achieve whatever the shareholder responsibility is or the fiduciary responsibility of the organization can you do that in, in a world where in a country where we're going to be majority minority demographics in 2040 in a, where the, all of the new expansion markets are people of minority demographics. We like, this is just about like, can we be successful? Not like, is this moralistically the right cause? Yeah. It's like, can we operate in this context? Yeah. We're marching just the, the demographics alone, Ben, in many parts of the country, many parts of the world, certainly here. Are, we're moving to the point where say diversity hiring is just hiring now, right? It's just, it's not diversity hiring anymore. It's just how you have to hire to keep your organization functioning, right? At the level to which you need. So that's what's really happening. And I think smart organizations have understood that for a while. Totally. Yeah. yeah. It's great I think stuff. Too, I, I like when you were sort of talking about, you know, all these things in, in relation to people, in relation to the workplaces, they all ebb and flow. And when you think about the fact that human resources, we Steve and I were talking the other day, human resources is still relatively young as yeah. as a practice, right? Um, 
you know, I'm 53. Human resources did not exist when I was born, right? Mm -hmm. So that's young. And then you think about, even if we're talking about 20 years of have, having any sort of focus on DEI, um, it's we're pioneers. What you're seeing organizations do is actually be pioneers in regard to how you can have a more successful business by opening your mind and expanding who you hire. And I, I love the example of the, um, you know, sort of the non-alcoholic um, spirits, because you're right. I think when you really think about what's going to help your business be better and hire people who can help you do that, then it starts falling in place a little bit more than sort of like that big, big focus on it, right? It's just, how do you want to be a better business? And and to be a pioneer maybe in your industry by having really good practices around the way you hire, period, right? So. And, and, and we're tapping into some of the most tribal humanistic biases mm -hmm. and prejudices. So we say DEI, like, is this just like corporate initiative? It's, it's sort of like, oh, we're going to put things in the cloud. Like, great, like, you know, digitization, it's a trend, you know, like global, like, but DEI is getting different people from different tribes to be together. And mm -hmm. from an evolutionary perspective, that was not like you, you, you figured out who was different and who was safe and who wasn't and pattern recognition, you know? And so this is something that is activating all sorts of history and traumas and biases and beliefs. And so it's not a simple thing versus saying, hey, we're going to make i9s digital or we're going to do <laughs> um, an engagement survey on a mobile device, right? Or we're going to, you know, we're going to figure out how to do, you know, pay on demand. Like those things are, you can kind of get around and they're just less sort of, you know, historically fraught or have a lot of emotion or other things around them. So HR is doing something that really is actually a fundamentally shifting the way humans interact and behave, which is like the hardest behavior change you could imagine. So no wonder it's a little rocky. No wonder we're hitting some potholes and having a couple blown out tires. Like we're, we're on a rocky journey, but it's one that we continue to need to go down. And I think part of change and driving change, my friend Robbie Hammond, he co-founded the High Line here in New York, which is the mm -hmm. elevated park. And, you know, it took him like 20 years to make that happen. Him and his, his, his uh, co-founder, Josh, he said, you know, if you want to really drive change over the long term, you have to be like the tide coming in. It's coming. It's slow, it's steady, but God damn it, it's coming. And so that's how you just like to take this view of like the tide. So I feel like with the DEI, the tide's going to go in and out. It's going to ebb and flow, but the tide is eventually going to keep coming back in and keep coming back in. And I think that's where we are. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think, and too, if you're in HR listening to this, it's about making everyone feel comfortable in the workplace. Right. And that's often when we when we segregate each other out into different groups, it's when we feel less comfortable. Right. Because we don't always understand where someone else is coming from. So if you create situations and opportunities for people to come together in a comfortable way to be able to ask questions of each other and learn, then you see those companies succeeding. Right. It's where they don't feel like they have that commonality or common common place to. And again, whether that's an electronic place or whether it's it's a physical place, right? Mm -hmm. But you have to be able to have people um, come and celebrate that. And I think too, you still hear it always irritated me and I still hear it. It's like, you know, you'll talk to people or hear them say, well, I like this company or this group because it's full of like-minded people. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, but and we're still saying that in this day and age. And so when you do that, that flies right in the face of yes, but you're also not getting diverse perspectives and, and learning and growing in ways that 
might elevate your business. So, and, and I was, I, yeah, you know, the Ford F one fifty, and my dad drove a bunch of those trucks over the years. The number one best selling vehicle in America, legendary product. Their biggest growth opportunity was with women. And one of the things that they did is the tailgate. When you lower that tailgate, it's heavy, right? The old like oh, yeah. heavy. And so you got groceries, you got this, you got whatever. And so they spring loaded the tailgate to make it less heavy for women. Well, guess what? Turned out, guess what? A less heavy tailgate was better for guess what? Everyone. 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 There you go. People that were older, people that had their hands full, people with disabilities, people that were just tired after a long day at work and didn't want to thrust their body to get an 85 pound tailgate up. And so part of this is we have to also realize that the research shows and people's perception generally support this, that after DEI initiatives are implemented, all boats rise. It's not just for the minority yes. demographics that everyone, I mean, Diageo is making more money by selling, you know, C-Blip, right? And the stock price of Diageo goes up and they've got more things to stock to satisfy more consumers, including Gen Z, who's not drinking hardly at all and all this stuff. And so they can be competitive. And so everyone's stock options go up not just the people that benefit from a non-alcoholic product, right? So part of this is it's like you have to get out of the zero sum thing. Like yes. everyone wins with a lighter tailgate or with non-alcoholic spirits or selling Tylenol PM to gay men or whatever the DEI like business thing is. Yeah. It doesn't hurt anyone if you get out of the scarcity mindset. Yeah. One of my favorite stories coming back that we heard on this show a couple of years back, uh, just probably will remember this too, is we were doing a show on neurodiversity. We've done a number of shows on neurodiversity in the workplace. Right. We were doing one um, with a professor uh, who works in a uh, in Vanderbilt, Trish, the first center mm -hmm. for uh, autism studies. Wow. And we talked about we were talking about interviewing, right? And mm -hmm. what are some of the things companies should do or can do to help make the in job interview process a little more um, uh, accessible and a little bit more opening and welcoming and give, give neurodiverse candidates a better chance to succeed. And he talked about structured interviews and sharing the questions and, you know, yep. pacing and, and don't, don't do 17 people in a panel trying to interview yep. one person because they feel yep. being ganged up on. And then it turns out all those things are just good interviewing practices for everyone. For everyone right. right. That for was everyone. the point. Right. I don't want to panel with 19 people on right. Teams or Zoom. It's going to feel like the Inquisition. I'm going to feel like I'm in front of Congress and everyone's trying to get a soundbite in, right? That's a nightmare. <laughs> and and so I think that to your point, I mean, that's where often what's good for, you know, and again, we've often made products or services mm -hmm. around one use case or one demographic. And it's often these other use cases that break the status quo, but in a way, again, that's like, that's more flexible, right? That's more adaptive, that's more efficient, those sort of things. So I think that's the part of it where we can get excited and rally around, wow, our pro like our products and services are better and our experiences and our employee experience. Like, why wouldn't we do this? Right. Ben, it's, we love having you on at the beginning of the year, for sure, to help us set up for the year, but also to feel sort of good and charged up about like the way things are going. And I feel that way, honestly. So that's Great. exciting. So thank you for that. Uh, we will, of course, Ben, you're everywhere. You're very, you're great at sort of communicating, participating, sharing. We saw your, your, your new puppy today. Uh, ben, uh, people can find you on LinkedIn, of course, which you're, you're pretty active on there. The website is pilot.coach for all things pilot. So we'd encourage folks to check that out. And we'll also get some links out to the work Ben did at the end of the year around predictions and trends for going into this year. 
we really only got a chance to talk in depth about one of them, but there's four sure. other that Ben mentioned quickly that I love uh, folks get the chance to listen to that back as well. So, uh, but great, great stuff, Ben. It's so good to see you and congratulations on the, on the new dad aspect of your life as well. Thank you. No, it's great to be here. And I'll just say, if anyone's looking at developing emerging leaders, that's a big trend we're hearing. And that's where helping a lot of organizations are looking at succession further down in the organization you know, people that may be in back office or corporate functional roles, you know, heaven forbid, HR people get leadership development and people development for their own. Um, and so that's a big area of passion for me this year. And one of my personal goals is to get more emerging leaders, not the top of the house, not the most senior executives, but to really, you know, develop emerging leaders, because that's the future of succession that diversifies the organizations that improves hiring that accelerates technology adoption that changes flexibility. A lot of the things we have ties back to structure and generation and different perspectives. So that's an area that I'm really working on. So if anyone's listening today and wants to talk about, you know, emerging leaders, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, check out Jetson on, on Instagram. He's real cute. I mean, that's 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 my plug. No sponsors, nothing like that. He's just pure joy. He's sponsoring love and puppiness. So. Oh, love it. Love it. All right. Great, great stuff. Uh, Trish, great stuff. Good to see you. Great to see Ben as well. This is a great way to start the year. I'm glad we're able to do it. Ben, come back and see us in uh, next January, please. And uh, uh, thanks again. And thanks to our friends at Paychex, of course, uh, for all their support. Love and Paychex. they've been great to us with us again in 2024. I think I might have mm -hmm. mentioned that before, but it is true. They are with us again this year. And we thank them for all the support. Remember to catch all the show archives at hrhappyhour.net. Listen to the podcast wherever you get the podcast. And hopefully if you're on YouTube watching us and you made it to the end, congratulations. Good to see you. Maybe drop us a comment. Drop us a like. We'd love to see that too. So thanks so much again. Uh, my name is Steve Bose for Trish Steed, for our guest Ben Brooks. This has been At Work in America. We will see you next time. Bye for now.